Welcome to Tech London, a show featuring interviews with London's top creative entrepreneurs, startups, investors, design agencies, internet marketers, and freelancers that make up the Tech London online community, which mostly lives on the Slack instant messaging platform. We rotate through both hosts and guests for these interviews, so you have the chance to hear from multiple perspectives on London's tech scene. Hello, folks, and welcome to the second edition of the 2023 Tech London podcast. And in the studio today, I have Thor A. Rain. And what are you known for, Thor? And what would you like to be known for? Hey, Bernie. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our chat. Uh, I think for me, what I would like to be known for is, first of all, compassion. Secondly, curiosity. So I'm really, I like to hang out and being curious and kind. Um, and I work with feelings all day. I work with pain, stress, fatigue, anxiety. So yeah, curiosity and compassion is my game. That is, I've, uh, <laughs> well, I was that was there. well done. Yeah, no, no, it is. Cause, cause like for those people that don't know you, you know, because yeah. you, you, call, you, you go by the name of a health activist, which I love. Yes. And then as I've got to know you over our little conversations and stuff, that, that curiosity definitely fuels the, um, like, how to be healthy and take care of your body and mind and everything like that. When, so I want, I want to jump in. I love, I've always loved the term health activist. Yeah. And can you, when, when did you first start using that? What is, what made you go, I'm going to be a health act, activist, not a mindful practitioner and stuff like that. So um, back in 2014, 15, um, I'd been working in the field of pain and fatigue for about five, eight years, something like that. And I wanted to shift my business uh, into a social enterprise. So I wanted to make it, um, and I got onto this program in Cambridge uh, to develop a, a social enterprise. And I was thinking about why, why do I, you know, why do I want to be a social entrepreneur rather than just an entrepreneur? And um, I realized there was two things. One, I think is, you know, very much my cultural history. I come from Iceland originally. It's a very small country. And there's only about 300,000 people carrying the whole system. So there's a strong sense of social responsibility. Um, so that was one aspect, that sense of wanting to stand up and count in my society, in my community. The second was the shocking insight that I had in my early 30s that I was practically health illiterate. So I was, quote unquote, successful. You know, I was earning good money. I was doing a socially acceptable, successful job. Uh, and yet, you know, I fell dramatically ill. And one thing I realized as I was figuring my way out to recovery is that a key contributing factor to me falling ill was that I didn't understand health and I didn't understand feelings. So when my body was giving me signals, when my emotions and feelings and sensations were letting me know that things weren't okay, I just did not know how to interpret them. So I could have intervened a lot quicker. I could have made very different decisions if I'd actually understood what's being referred to as health literacy and emotional literacy. And so I became, so that's kind of also where I set up the clinic in a way that we are accountable, not only in terms of, you know, profit and loss, but also sort of that outreach and increasing people's understanding and awareness of health and feelings. And, and also I just like being an activist. I'm like, yes, I'm going to do stuff. I love that term activist. Um, yeah. What is, so that, that's one of the key reasons I got you in here because, you know, in the whole creator, techie, startup world, 
mm-hmm. um, especially after COVID. Like before Christmas, our team was, I don't know, we, we were all just fatigued and exhausted, even though we take care of each other. Yeah. And we we actually ended up like, we just looked at everything and went, we can just stop a week early and come back a week later because mm-hmm. everybody needed to reset. And it's not like we work in a, you know, particularly horrible, nasty, you know, macho driven environment. But what I'd like to talk about is like, how can we take care of each other in our companies? And especially as, you know, the recession and the economy and all the other shit stormy mm. things that are going on in the world, it's like mm. never as just out of necessity rather than sheer profit. I mean, being, mm. being out of sheer profit is one driver, but now it's like every, I don't think in my lifetime, the world has ever been tighter than it is now. And mm. how do we survive mm. without it costing us our own health and our team's health? That's a big question, Thor. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, in 10 Just words. Break that down. <clears throat> so I would actually, I'll put it into one word. Awareness. Yeah. So soon and as you thanks for listening today, you... folks. Yeah, exactly. And that's <laughs> it. So, but obviously if I'm becoming aware of something, I need to know what it is that I'm looking out for. I need to be able to have words for it. I need to be able to know, okay, now I'm becoming aware of something. How do I respond to it? So I think one of the things that I've been talking about for quite a few years in terms of recovering from pain and fatigue that I hadn't thought about in a wider context is something that I refer to as social atrophy. So you may be familiar with like muscle atrophy when there's muscle wasted because you haven't used your muscles. Um, So people who have been out of work or people who have been sort of uh, very ill, when they start to reintegrate, they come across this experience of social atrophy. Their, their social stamina and their social strengths have atrophied during their illness or their step away from whatever. And what I found when um, we were doing, we were going through COVID, I wrote a couple of blogs on this uh, during that time. And they were, we, we were number one on Google search engine for social atrophy. Therefore, you know, I think we still are actually. I don't think there are many people writing about it. But, you know, actually applying it to the wider population because something was happening on a global level where our social strength and stamina was reduced because we were, you know, having much less social stimulation interaction. Um, so that this was actually affecting then when we started to reintegrate, affecting us and we were, people were getting more return to work anxiety and it was costing more in terms of energy to respond to social interactions. The other thing that I think uh, we haven't really given due credit to is just the amount of troubleshooting we were doing, particularly in that first year, whether it was logistics, getting from A to B suddenly became a lot more complicated. Or even just, you know, when I go shopping, you know, how many times do I sanitize around the shop or, you know, and having to go in and go in and queues. There was a lot of extra thinking and doing we were having to do just to exist. And I think we often dismiss that that takes energy, that actually if you've got a budget of like, or if it's let's say a battery on your phone, You've got, if you're running an app just functioning in COVID and that app is taking an X amount of your battery, you've got that less to apply to anything else. And then, of course, there was the uh, knock on effect of COVID. And then last year with the war in Ukraine and the increased uncertainty around that. And now, you know, the sky high energy bills, uh, people's financial worries. We tend to assume that we could just take these and put them in a pocket and continue walking. But these are actually things that take their own energy and take their own time. And so the significant thing here is that when you become aware of how much am I carrying, how much is in my battery, how am I doing, when you learn to apply those questions to how is my day going, 
you can then start to triangulate those kind of time task resources accordingly. So I think, I don't know about you, but I know, for example, for some of the tasks in my day, like just getting from A to B instead of being able to, you know, hop in the car and drive into London, I would have to spend like 15, 20 minutes troubleshooting the logistics of traveling. That was 20 minutes I wasn't using for something else. The, um, like the first few times coming back into London and the first London co-working assembly in-person event we did, I was, yeah. you know, it was only like an hour and a half long. And then we sort of chatted a bit afterwards. So I was out for three hours and yeah. I had to go like, I just had to sleep when I got home and I kind of knew that was going to happen, but I didn't realize it would be, I'm going to say traumatizing, even though it wasn't, it felt like I'd been some, you know, and then everyone was, you know, like I hug everybody, you know, are you hugging? Yeah. You know, oh, I, I hugged you. I didn't mean to hug you. Sorry. You know, personal space yes. and, and, and people, even there, there were some people who would even just this, like we're, we're in the co-working assembly, like everyone knows each other and we'd all been online mm-hmm. together, but then some people came into the room wearing masks and sanitizing yeah. and others, you know, were more, more relaxed about the whole thing. And even that, not there was tension between yeah. the people having different viewpoints, but even like, Oh shit, what do I do? You know? Oh, like I saw them sanitize six times. Should I sanitize seven times just to make sure that yes. they think I'm okay? And Oh, geez. So I'm exhausted that, just describing oh, geez, it. Just, exactly. And I think we haven't, <clears throat> first of all, we have not had a collective experience like this as a, as a, you know, our kind of generation and those of us who are here today. Um, certainly not in sort of this North, North, you know, Western Europe. Um, and actually, we we tend to dismiss that, you know, we could do all this extra thinking and all this extra feeling and all this extra checking and then still continue with the same amount of output on other things and other types of thoughts and activities, not recognizing that we still only have 24 hours in the day. We still, still only have whatever our battery <laughs> length is or current account, depending on whether you want to use money or battery power for your energy metaphor. And so we can then set ourselves very unrealistic expectations of what we're supposed to achieve within a day. And then, of course, we get to the end of the day feeling bad about ourselves because we, quote unquote, haven't achieved what we set ourselves up to do. And therefore, we must be failing. Whereas actually, the issue is the the awareness of actually what is in, in my day. How am I triangulating? Is that helpful? Is it realistic? So can you, can you say about the, there's a load of myths around like how to recover, how to, you mm. know, like just, just take care of yourself. Cause it is not just getting a green juice and hoping you get a chance to meditate. It, there's, there's a lot. I, I know from personal experience, there's a lot more mm. to it than that. And it's taken me, you know, years ago, I was like incredibly depressed and in a horrible way. And it, and mm. part of me just thought I could, you know, read a read a book and do six sessions of cbt and it would all be back on track again but i don't think it is that <laughs> no not quite like that but i re- i share i relate to that you know I, when i fell ill i you know first of all i wasn't expecting to be ill for very long turned out it was like nearly seven years but also i was at the in the early days i was determined to be the the person recovering the quickest from the illness that i had because i was such an achiever <laughs> I mean, it's adorable when I look back at it. And I was just going to get it all fixed before Christmas, you know. But no, no, health doesn't quite work like that. So the two main things that I bring in as a sort of almost like 
um, reference points or guidance. First of all, that feelings are information. And feelings are always, in my book, emotions and physical sensations. You're like, you feel happy, you feel pain, you feel tired, you feel hungry. You know, as far as I understand the way feelings work, this is not an either or situation. You know, emotions show up in the body, uh, physical sensations show up in our emotions. So I always use the word feelings, which is why I've developed first aid for feelings rather than first aid for emotions or first aid for physical sensations, because it feelings encapsulates both. When I look at all feelings as information, I can bring in my curiosity. Whereas particularly with positive psychology, we've dismissed like half the spectrum of feelings as bad. And we have been trained or trained ourselves to just, you know, feel the fear and carry on anyway, or, you know, ignore the inner critic or dismiss the quote unquote bad negative feelings. And and actually, when we don't see all feelings as information, we are missing out on like, it's like having uh, a compass and only use the north south axis and not the east west axis. Yeah, I, so I am. One side. The other aspect I bring in is that this kind of literacy, I talk about as literacy, well, not just me, you know, it is referred to as literacy and seeing it really as a language. So I don't know if you speak any other languages that, from English. Nearly Spanish. Nearly Spanish, right. right. Yeah. So I imagine, I mean, I mean um, one of my favorite words in Spanish is claro. I mean, not that I know much in Spanish, but, you know, I just love the way claro sounds, which just means, you know, clear or understood. Um, but I imagine when you started learning Spanish, you started with the word like, I don't know, bread. And then you learned the word for, you know, wholemeal bread. And then you learned wholemeal bread with seeds on top. You know, it was I haven't a, got a seed a, yet, but I'm, I'm, I know <laughs> right. where but, but the, the way, the way kind of, you start at one level, you know, you don't become an advanced practitioner overnight. You know, there's learning and training involved to build up your liter- literacy skills. And that same applies to understanding physical sensations and emotions. You know, when I'm feeling jealous, what does that mean? When I'm, I mean, I've got a, I've, um, I've got a course on Insight Timer, which is a meditation platform. And one of the free meditations you can listen to is called The Gift of Overwhelm. And that's the, I mean, it knocks all the other meditations out of the park in terms of number of plays. It's really interesting how popular that one is. And almost always the feedback I get in the reviews is that people had never thought of overwhelm as a gift. Because it's such an uncomfortable feeling. This this little bit we're in now um, makes a lot of sense because there's, like in, in the tapping thing, there's that, you know, accept the, is it accept the feeling and shoot, you, you talk in, in the, in EMT, people yeah. talk about acknowledging the feeling, and I've been doing that for years, yeah. and I never did it before. And like you said, with the compass, it was yeah. it's like it, it wasn't even it, it wasn't ignoring those other feelings; it was being in denial about them. Yeah. And then, as over time, you know, I just learned to. I wouldn't say I'm looking at overwhelm like a gift, but I've learned to recognize these things as part of the whole picture mm. I'm, try, I'm trying to not sound like i've solved the whole thing yet but um you know i'm still <laughs> learning I, i'm still learning is what i'd like to point out but um well i think that's the, i think it's the beauty of it bernie like with any language so uh, as i know you know you know i love words uh word smithery i like creating words i like mucking about with words i like learning 
um, words in different languages for the same thing, because I think it really, you know, brings us to a certain level of, of insight and, and perspective. But I would certainly not say that I'm a master of language, you know, that there's always more to learn. There's more intricacies and, and nuances to learn in terms of how to, how to strengthen my sort of understanding of language. And I think that applies to our, our man- mental, you know, our thoughts, our emotions and physical sensations as well. So the fact that you've started, that's the thumbs up, you know, and then you add to it. And I think I'm, uh, I mentioned to you the other day that there's, there's a guy I was working with quite some years ago. He came to see me because he was having digestive issues, you know, and, um, Par- him, man. Like, yeah, paracetamol man. And when I was like, okay, so I've been having problems for about three years or something. And when I asked him, so what have you been doing to support your symptoms so far? And he was like, well, I've take paracetamol three times a day as instructed. And so my favorite question is always, is it helpful? Hence the clinic is called the helpful clinic. Uh, not is it right or wrong, good or bad, just simply, is it helpful? And he really, he was really stumped and he, he sat there for, uh, you know, quite, you know, maybe 30, 40 seconds and thought about it. And then he was like, it doesn't make a blind bit of difference. So he'd been taking paracetamol, you know, every single day for three years for something that wasn't actually helping to address the symptoms he was experiencing. So he had, and this was a seriously clever man. There was nothing wrong with this, you know, top scoop, but just not being able to understand the indicators from his body and the, that the intervention he was bringing in wasn't actually helping it. So he was just continuing on autopilot because somebody had told him to do it. I, I think that that's one of the stories that stuck out to me on, um, on Andy Bargery's podcast, because mm. there's, I know years ago, like in the last century, I would just take Nurofen every day because I, yeah. I had a, I, I always had a headache or a toothache or I always had something going on, and it's because I wasn't taking care of myself. And I was at university and I was working full time in a restaurant and just doing too many things and didn't know who I was. And you know, if if you if, if you if you'd met me in Liverpool Street Station, Thor, you you wouldn't even done any of this. He just would have like <laughs> shot me to put me out my misery. I look that bad. And, <laughs> and it was, uh, and someone pointed out to me one day, remember Heather, who was the restaurant manager says, you know, I've seen you take that like every day. Have you, has it yeah. ever occurred to you that you're addicted or something like that? And, and I was offended, but yeah, obviously, right. you know, she was right to point it out. But, um, I just, like I can't remember what the word is, but they're, they're, yeah, they're like placebos. There can't be any positive effect on that. Well, the thing is with placebos, that can actually have a positive effect. But with this, taking the neurofen regularly, or like the paracetamol man, you know, actually taking something just on autopilot. This is where my curiosity comes in. I'm like, oh, is it actually helpful? You know, because I'm I'm almost like whatever that whatever you're using or doing, if it's helpful to you and it's genuinely is helpful to you, I'm like brilliant. But if you're taking it out of habit, if you are doing some anything that you're just doing on autopilot without actually recognizing or paying attention to and becoming aware, coming back to awareness being the one word answer, becoming aware of it, is this actually serving me or not? That's when I put in the question mark. And if we put it into business terms, um, you know, it's like if you keep, you know, like I'm working with an entrepreneur and he just kept throwing resources at it, at the problem. And I was like, well, you've been doing that for a while now. Is it actually solving the problem? He was getting more and more, you know, freelancers in or whatever. And he was like, uh, no. <laughs> so, well, okay, well, let's get curious about that. You know, what is going on there? So it's that kind of, it's a bit like that, you know, it's not my phrase. Somebody coined just the, the lamb sip mentality. You know, we 
we live in a culture where we've been trained to view health and medicine in a certain way. And actually, in the last three, five, seven, eight years, we, we, we really started to come across a tipping point in that attitude and shifting our awareness to health and, and sort of well-being to not being so authoritarian where other people are in charge of our health or other people are in charge of our well-being, actually becoming an agent in our own health. And the same with being an entrepreneur. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, you're the agent in your own company. And, you know, if if you're not actually genuinely curious about is what I'm doing delivering, then, you know, you're not going to last very long. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about the the last, you know, COVID, lockdown, war in Ukraine, mm-hmm. and if you're in the UK, mm-hmm. the Queen dying. It seems, it seems yeah. like we've been through like uh, 10 seasons in one go. So like my, my friend Albert mm-hmm. said, um, we were, he was on a, a webinar about the future of work, another webinar about the future of work in May 2020, and everyone's like panicking about what they're going to do. And he mm-hmm. kind of said, very seriously, you know, the future of work has been accelerated by a decade because everyone who was like stuck in their way of doing things has been unsettled and it's very uncomfortable for people. But, you know, this is, this will kind of, you know, it's not a productivity play, but this will actually save us a lot of time because we will just miss out and we've, we've, we've advanced our attitudes to how we work, where we work and why we work. Mm-hmm more i know and there's a lot of mess in there as well he wasn't he certainly wasn't being yeah. flippant but from a no. you know as, as a as a you know health activist and seeing mm. that range of emotions nationally mm. and individually in such a short space of time do you think yeah. we i hope you say yes but like do, do you think we learned out of it or do you think we're in we've never been in so much shit <laughs> well i think um i would say actually both um, because I think there's there's been a lot of learning, and that in itself has also takes energy and brain power to to sort of upskill ourselves in all these both you know emotions, sensations, technology, you know social interaction. There's been a lot of learning. There's also what it's revealed is a lot of mess. So while we were just you know hamsters on a wheel, you know going forward and always going more and more and more, uh, there was a lot of things we could just ignore. So. Uh, I've seen in consultations, uh, you know, marriages or relationships really strengthening and people going like, oh, yeah, that's why we're married. <laughs> or families falling apart because suddenly they were spending time together and they were like, you know what, we should have divorced years ago. So and the same with with jobs, you know, people being in careers or being employed or being self-employed. And because we stopped the autopilot, something made us. There was a, like a neurolinguistic programming that talked about pattern break or pattern interrupt. There was this massive global pattern interrupt and it made us stop in our tracks and we had to look at stuff we maybe hadn't looked at for a while. So there's a lot of debris going around that some of us have sort of started to, you know, roll up our sleeves and do some work with. Others are still just getting their bearings around, you know, that this has actually happened. And some have just gone into massive denial. And and that sometimes we need that. Denial can sometimes be helpful until we feel skilled enough or resourceful enough to be able to deal with what's going on. But there has certainly been a big interrupt in our lives. And so, and I think we don't give enough credit that that in itself needs caring for. It's a bit like if you've been ill, you've been for an operation or the big illness. The Victorians, you know, they had like convalescence. We've completely forgotten that concept. And so it's interesting when I set out the business goals for, for this year, actually the, the business goal for quarter one is convalescence for the business. 
because we're just not going to achieve any goals. The goal is to not achieve any goals this quarter. Yeah, we're a little bit like that. We we have a big thing at the end of February and mm. all the our fleet of amazing products, services and game changing has just been put on hold because we haven't, we haven't got the brain power to to do it. Yeah. And there's I can't remember who was saying the other day. They said so, someone I was listening to said I I powered through the week because I thought that's what I should do as a, you know, Mm. pumped up male startup founder and really i yeah. should have just laid on the sofa watching netflix for one day and then and then eased back into it and i would have got more done and you know yeah. frequently even even after all this you know frequently i find myself halfway through something actually not doing anything um yeah and then and then i need to switch off so i want to just get in before we go is I've written it down here. I've got to come clean. I've written it down here and I can't read my own handwriting, but there's that, there's that like triangle you have, which is time task. And is it resources? Resources. Yeah. The triangulation. Yeah, okay. So it is right. Yeah. How, can you, can you, can we finish on that and explain how, how that works in your yeah. framework? So uh, triangulation is something I use all the time, whether it's recovery in my own work, working with entrepreneurs or, you know, high performance coaching. So it's about actually genuinely looking at uh, and, and writing or drawing it, writing it down, uh, triangle with the three points. One is time, one is resources, and the third one is tasks. So let's say looking at my day like for today, I look at the tasks that I'm hoping to uh, accomplish today. I look at the time I have, uh, a time when I want to have it completed, which is like by the end of today. And then I look at my resources in terms of energy, in terms of colleagues, in terms of money that I might need to apply to it. Uh, anything else like my laptop or whatever, any other resources I need to bring in or somebody else's expertise. And actually make sure, does my triangle add up? Or have I just, have I got like eight tasks today? Each of them takes two hours, which would be, you know, 16 hours and I've only got six or seven to work, you know. So actually taking the time to sort of um, plan and assess how long things take and that they add up. And also that kind of, can I delegate this to somebody else or to another time? You know, actually spending that time in preparation to make sure the triangle adds up. And then with that agility, if I need to re-triangulate, then having a sense of, oh, I can shift that to another time. But that actually writing it down, because often we write to-do lists, but we don't actually allocate how long it takes each task. And sometimes we don't even know how long the task takes. So I remember working with this woman quite some time ago who kept getting kidney infections and she was kept getting ill. And we'd work with a functional medicine practitioner, which solved, supported her to figure out a lot of the um, issues that were going on. But the kidney infection was something that we just couldn't get a handle on. So we got curious about how she, her behavior and her day. And she worked for as a social worker uh, in a large, you know, inner city office. And um, this was a sort of a, a behavioral thing. She would never go to the loo. So there was always so much crisis going on. She wouldn't take the time to go to the loo, to have a wee and come back. And then actually when we, we did an experiment to set a timer, a stopwatch, how long would it take to actually, you know, go walk to the loo, have a have a pee, wash your hands and walk back. And the stopwatch said it took less than three minutes. And so yeah, even there's... with five five times a day, 15 minutes a day, going on to looking after this basic bodily need, 
was much less than the, the weeks she'd be off with kidney infections every every few weeks or every few months. So even just that basic factoring in, you know, am I allowing enough time for me to go to the loo, uh, to me to do some stretches, to eat, to drink, you know, enough water? Am I factoring these things in or are they always falling off the edge and therefore I end up becoming ill because I'm not caring for what I actually truly need to function? There, there was an exercise I did years ago with um, someone called Jessica Abel. Um, I'll put a link in okay. the show notes to her. And she she got us to write down how we spent our time. Yeah. And and then I, and I've been using an app called Rescue Time for ages. Like Okay. Yeah. That, that tracks what you do on your computer. So when I yeah. started using that in like 2010, I was, I thought I don't use Facebook much. And, and I spent like yeah. six hours a day on Facebook, which was like, yeah. You know, so the, where I'm going with this is I was completely oblivious to how, to what happens. Cause you get in that haze. And like you said, you like you power through the to-do list and then, and yeah. then something else I learned out of that, which I'm sure you know is, you know, it's like, how long does it take to do that? So, in my head, even now, I think it takes an hour to write a blog post, but it might take <laughs> yeah. an hour to write it, but it takes like two hours to edit it, go back, look at it, craft it, yeah. swap the words around. You know, it's, yeah. it's probably, probably near like six hours for each blog post. And that doesn't even include hitting publish because, because yeah. pluck up the guts to hit publish is like another two hours, isn't it? Um, <laughs> So it is really so, isn't that the old time and motion study, you know, back in the fifties or whatever, you know, it's like, I mean, obviously that went too far the other way, but actually to take the, you know, to actually pay attention to how long do things genuinely take me. And also I would imagine then if you, if you know that it takes you, you know, three hours to do this part of the block process, if you give yourself that time rather than rushing it, you will have a much more enjoyable experience. Yeah, I felt I felt better when I heard Brenny Brown a few years ago talking about writing, and and I just thought she would sit down and write. And she says it takes me takes takes her like an hour to get into the headspace. So she goes, "I'm going to write." Then she sits down, faffs for an hour. Yeah. Then she starts writing, faffs a bit more, and, and so it's like two hours to get from like yeah. I'm going to write to I am now writing, even after you know, everything she's been through. So that, that, that kind of humanized the whole, the whole process for me. Yeah, so absolutely. We, definitely. I, I know, I know you've got to catch a plane Thor, so we'd better go. Um, where, <laughs> where can we find you online and how can we get into what you do? So if you check out firstaidforfeelings.com, that's a good place to start or just type in the question, is it helpful? Because that'll come to the website or type in my name, Thor A stands for Aldon, Thor A Rain. Although you might find when we type in Thor, you get pictures of Chris Hemsworth. Um, so, uh, but yeah, any one of those will, will get you, connect us up. And I'm always curious to meet people and hear from people. So if you've, if somebody here is into any of this stuff and is interested to connect, then, you know, I'll be, I'd love to hear from people as well about you know, thoughts and, and sort of input. Brilliant. Thanks. I really cherish our conversations, Thor, and appreciate your time and insight on this. And ladies and gentlemen, if you go to the Slack channel, if you go, if you, Hopefully you're listening to this in the Slack channel. But if you go to <laughs> techlondon.io, that is the website where everything about Tech London is. Um, we've been going since Jonathan started the Slack channel in 2014. And there are wow. thousands of people in that Slack channel. And um, Gus is going to start running some more events soon. And there's, there's people in that Slack channel that are just regular human beings and creators and starting something. And there's some people that are some of the biggest names you would have seen grow in the London tech community 
and startup community over the years. So there's lots of very, very helpful people there. Thank you very much for your time and attention today. Be careful out there. It is a jungle. You've been listening to the Tech London Show. If you're interested in joining the community or even making an appearance on this show, make sure you join our Slack group over at techlondon.io. Till next time.